spiritually speaking, He surgically separates us from all judgment and condemnation related to sin. So, what are some practical ways that we can begin living as people who have been forgiven? On today's episode of the CWCCS podcast, we join Pastor Al Pittman in the series, The Deeper Life, and we're in Colossians chapter 2 for the message, Liberty for All. Before we get to that, do you have questions about what's next on the prophetic timeline? Pastor Al's new book has the answers. To market a movie, producers release a preview that attracts an audience. In the book of Revelation, we are provided with a glimpse of coming glory. This new Jerusalem represents the fact that God desires a tabernacle with mankind, which was God's original intent. Remember in the garden, that was God's original intent to a tabernacle to dwell with mankind. Learn more about God's timetable in Pastor Al Pittman's book, Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, full of crucial information because the time is short. Jesus saying, surely I am coming quickly. See, from God's perspective, you're running out of time. Al Pittman has transferred his chapter-by-chapter pulpit teachings on Revelation to this much-needed publication. Get your copy of Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, where you buy books or online at cwccs.org. What is the message of the church? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the in-depth teaching on the book of Revelation, learn more about Pastor Al's latest book at cwccs.org. Now, here's today's message. Well, we're in uh, Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 11 to 23 today in a series of messages uh, entitled The Deeper Life, and today we're talking about liberty for all. I believe this is an important message today because, you know, if, if you really don't feel like you have, if you think you do not have liberty in Jesus Christ, where do you go when you fall? Uh, if someone's mad at you, you can always go to Jesus, you know. Uh, if you're having trouble in your job, you go to Jesus. But if Jesus, if you believe the lie of the enemy that Jesus is mad at you, where do you go? And, and, and that's why a lot of believers have been many times, I say not a lot, but some have ended their lives. Because they believe the lie that, that they're not liberated in Christ. And so I, I think this is an important message to remind us of our liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. That God is always for us, that God is not against us. Amen. Amen. Our nation's Pledge of Allegiance, I remember in elementary school, you know, hand over your heart and Pledge of Allegiance, and it would end with, with liberty and justice for all. And in our text, Paul really is warning against what I call a religious oligarchy of false teachers who are threatening to suppress the liberty that believers enjoyed in Jesus Christ. The noble idea of liberty in our nation's history was really derived from Scripture, from the gospel. America was never meant to be ruled by an oppressive oligarchy. What is an oligarchy? Well, it's a small group of people having control of a country, organization, or institution. We are a nation of the people, by the people, for the people. Amen. We're a republic, and we have political representatives who represent the will of the people. And today, some people, without knowing, think that somehow those in the White House run things. No, we run things. Amen. It's the will of the people. We're not to be managed by some oligarchy. 
whether it be, you know, through multimedia, through the, the media, what have you, you know, Twitter or Facebook and all, we are a government that is representative of all the people. So to fully understand your liberty uh, as an American citizen, we must turn to our Constitution. You don't know how free you are until you start reading the Constitution. Amen. And, uh, and until we uh, come to truly understand uh, what our freedoms are, we don't know how to walk in those liberties uh, as American citizens. In the same manner, to fully understand our liberty in Christ, Paul directs the church's attention not to the Constitution, but to the cross. And that's what I want to do today, because this is exactly what Paul is doing within our text. And thus in our text, Paul refutes the legalistic false teachings which had infiltrated the church at this particular time. And he reminds the church in Colossus that Christ is our liberation. He does it in four ways. By showing that Christ is our communion, or our, not communion, but our, our circumcision. Number two, by showing that Christ is our baptism. Number three, by showing Christ is our acquittal. And number four, showing that Christ is our substance. And I want to talk to you about those four things today to embolden you in understanding the liberation that you have in Jesus Christ. Christ, our circumcision. We begin here at verse 11 in Colossians chapter 2. And Paul the apostle says, in him, that is in who? That is Jesus. In verse 10 of Colossians chapter 2 says that he is the head of all principalities and power. In him, verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the, old, the body of the, of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. What is the circumcision of Christ? The circumcision of Christ. Uh, there is circumcision. We know circumcision in scripture. And, and, uh, but physical circumcision that uh, religious Jewish males undergo uh, as a sign of God's covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Which was initiated or instituted in Genesis chapter 11. But in our text, however, Paul is not speaking about that circumcision which was made with hands, but that circumcision which is without hands. He's speaking about spiritual circumcision without hands. The body of sin, our sinful nature, on the cross was nailed really to the cross. We're cut off because of the cross. Our sins have been cut off from us. This is what he means when he talks about the circumcision of Christ. He's talking about salvation. It was really the fulfillment, Christ's crucifixion on the cross, cutting off, cutting and cutting us off from our sins, from the penalty of sin through faith in him. It was really a fulfillment of God's heart's desire, even mentioned in the Old Testament for mankind. As the Lord said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he said, The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Christ died on the cross and by his death on the cross, again, cut away, cut us away from the judgment of sin that we might live through faith in him. Amen. And when we receive Christ, Spiritually speaking, the, the great physician, we also often refer to the Lord as being the great physician, according to grace, what does he do? He surgically separates us from all judgment and condemnation related to sin. 
I love the words of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, for I will, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Boy, isn't that good news? Thank God. Thank, oh, give him praise and glory. Hallelujah. And the Bible says in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, is not on the screen, but Micah 7, verse 19, says that he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And somebody said, and so rightly so, that he would put up after that a no fishing sign. How many of us have fished in the depths of the sea, reeling back in that old, those old sins that God says, I remember no more. Amen. So the circumcision of Christ is that our sins, we may be separated from our sins. The second way in which Paul reminds him of their liberation in Christ, he talks about Christ being our baptism. In verses 12 and 13, we read, he says, buried with him. We're circumcised in him, therefore we are buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Amen. We were once dead in our sins, but now we're made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. How? Through by being baptized in Christ, through the baptism of Christ. Last week, we saw 24 souls, amen, baptized here in second service. Amen. We thank God for that. That was glorious. But again, that is water baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward work. In other words, they were born again. They had received Christ as Lord. And as a public demonstration of their faith, they were baptized. That's what baptism is, is to be a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. What we did last week would cause many believers, cost many believers their lives in many parts of the world today. You'd be ostracized to be baptized publicly. It is, a, it is declaring to the witnesses there that I am now married to Jesus Christ. I am one with him. Amen. But it's an outward sign of an inward work that you've given your life to Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ and you're baptized, the water doesn't save you. You go down a dry center, you come up a wet center. You should have brought your soap and some shampoo because all you did was get wet. But you must be born again. And, and it's, again, an outward sign of an inward work within your life. That is what water baptism is all about. But Paul is not speaking about water baptism here when he talks about being baptized. He's speaking about spiritual baptism. He's talking about spiritual death. In fact, when we receive Jesus Christ, make a decision to follow Christ, what you're really doing is, is answering an invitation to die. See, sometimes we, we forget that in, 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 you know, in Christ. In, in the church today, church uh, in many cases is more, there's more of a consumer mentality in the church. I come to church to consume. No, but you're a part of the body of Christ. And as a part of the body of Christ, you're to serve the body of Christ to the glory of God. But we have a consumer mentality. What are you going to do for me lately, pastor? Amen. That's not church. That's Walmart. Amen. That's not church. Amen. You are part of the body of Christ. You know, that's, that's, a, that's the steakhouse. They're there to serve you. No, you're here to be a part of what God is doing. Amen. And so to be baptized, we are, we're invited to die that we might truly live through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the working of God. It says in verse, uh, uh, verse 12, the latter part of verse 12, that he raised us from the dead. In verse 13, it says it there. that This is the working of God. Amen. 
that God has raised us up. No, it's in verse 12. Amen. <laughs> I got it right. All right. The same power, Paul is saying here, that raised Christ from the dead physically lives within you spiritually. Now, we mentioned this last week during the baptism. Uh, uh, Pastor Mark read a portion of this, but I want to read it uh, a little bit further, a little bit more, back in Romans chapter 6, to kind of put a little bit more meat on the bone. What does it mean for us to be baptized in Jesus Christ? If you'll turn there with me. To Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 to 11 and read along with me. If you can't get there fast enough, just listen on. Amen. Paul says, what then shall, shall we say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There was the idea, and even some today think that, well, now that I'm saved by grace, I can just sin all I want, and God's just going to forgive me because as I sin, grace abounds. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Yes, it does. But it doesn't mean that you continue a life in sin. And Paul explains as he moves on further here. As he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? How can you live anymore in, in, in sin if you died with Christ? Now, Christians do sin. Amen. But you can't live. See, the operative word is live. You can't continue to live in that state because you have died in Christ. Amen. He says in verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The old man is dead. Walk in newness of life. Herein lies the question, the problem many times for us as believers that we keep trying to resurrect the old man that's dead. We get our little pick and shovel and our little, uh, 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 you know, miner's cap with the light on the front and we go out to Evergreen Cemetery and try to dig up our old life. Amen. Trying to dig up the old man. And here's the conflict in our relationships and in your marriages many times is both people think they're still alive when in, when in fact, if you're in Jesus, you're supposed to be dead. And it's more about his will than your way. Amen. You'd be walking in newness of life. For if you have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, living by the power of the resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Can't be slaves to sin. For we who, uh, who has, but he who has died, excuse me, has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Amen. Death no longer has dominion over him, and it no longer has dominion over you. Paul said, death, grave, where is your victory? Where is your sting? There is no death, no, no sting for the believer in death, because Christ has overcome death. And he goes on to say that it, uh, in verse 10, for the, for the death that he died, he died for sin and once for all. And he lives in, that, in the life that he lives, he lives to God. Same with us. We live a life unto God now. And then, therefore, he says, likewise, you also 
Reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead. Amen. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's, that, that is, again, that's where the rub is many times in our walk with the Lord is that we don't reckon ourselves dead. The old man is dead. Stop digging him up. Amen. I mean, I've never gone to two funerals for the same person. Amen. <laughs> Once you're dead, they carry you out and they bury you. Amen. You don't show up next week like, here we are again. <laughs> Amen. Because the person's what? dead amen so why are we going out digging up the old man and 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 resurrecting him that's where the problem is in your marriage that's where the problem is in your walk with the lord that for all of us we need to reckon ourselves dead in christ and alive unto god amen now that word reckon is from the greek word ogizomai and it means to calculate to determine to purpose to decide. You have a decision to make when it's a matter of your will and your way and God's will. To decide that, no, it's not my way because I'm dead. Lord, it's your will. Jesus said, my meat, my joy, amen, my food is to do my Father's will. Amen. And it should be ours as well. Reckon yourselves dead and alive unto God. To reckon is to live under the restraint of the Holy Spirit. There's another way of reckoning, if you will. To live under the restraint of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, let's be honest. We're not always led by the Spirit. Sometimes we get a little attitude and try to resurrect the old man. But we need to recognize, you know what, my goal is to be led by the Spirit. And when you recognize you've resurrected that old man and you're dragging him along with you, then you need to repent and say, no, because God has called me to walk in the Spirit. I'm supposed to be living in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Amen. Those who are sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit. Amen. So we come back to God and say, God, you lead me. You show me. Restraint is a good thing. Restraint is a good thing for the athlete. You know, you can't talk about winning a contest, running track or whatever, and you eating donuts all day. And you never get out and practice and you're just watching television. When we're out partying and carrying on or people doing their thing, the, the athlete is eating the right things. Restrained. It's exercising in the gym. Restrained. And it's a good thing for the athlete. It's a good thing also for us even in society. Restraint. It sounds like a nasty word in the world. Oh, you don't want any restraints. No, it's a good, it can be a good thing. I was listening to this program the other day. We were talking about the there in the Harvard Law School library, this main stairwell is a quote from a 1911 commencement speech. And here's the quote. The law is the wise restraint that makes men free. Close quote. Think about it. 
in an era and day where we're saying less restraint, less police, less this, less that, and there's freedom in that, we're just growing more and more into bondage. Crime is going to the roof with less restraint. When Moses came down from the mountain and Aaron had made the, the golden calf, the people had cast off restraint. There was no fear of God. We need restraint to get safely from Colorado Springs to Denver on the highway. Aren't you glad there's restraints on the highway? Then you have that guy fly by you at 90 miles an hour, unrestrained, and you're just saying, I hope when I come around the next corner, the cops got him pulled over so I can pass him by and go. Restraint leads to freedom. It gives us the freedom to leave from here and go to Denver safely. We have to have restraints on the highway. Amen. If you don't, you get a ticket. Amen. Restraint can be a good thing. To be baptized in Christ is to live a life fully immersed in Christ under the restraint of the Holy Spirit. To truly be free and experience liberation in Jesus is to be under the restraint of the Spirit. The lie of the devil is that sin will make you free. And so people think, if I can, the more I sin, the more free. No, the more you sin, the more bondage and bondage you are. And as old saying goes, sin keeps you longer than you wanted to stay and costs you more than you are willing to pay. Until it leaves you hollow and harnessed to condemnation for the rest of your life. To truly find oneself, to truly be liberated in Christ, we must lose ourselves in Jesus. We must be baptized, immersed in Christ. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. That's where true liberation lies. And Paul is reminding the church of that here, the church in Colossus of that here in, the, in this second point. His third point, he speaks about Christ as our acquittal, or another word could be as our dismissal. So we look at verses 14 and 15, and here in Colossians chapter 2, back in Colossians chapter 2, he says, having Jesus has forgiven all of our trespasses, we're immersed in him, we're forgiven in him. He, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Wow. There's a lot here. But Christ is our acquittal. Is a point that Paul is making. You are liberated because Christ is your acquittal. The handwriting against us was the law. The law condemned us. God's required standard of acceptance, none of us in our flesh could achieve. None of us could come into his holy presence without condemnation. Why? Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the good news is what we could not achieve through self-determination and religion, God did. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 8, there Paul writes, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak 
through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he, com- he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, wow, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Amen. Nailed to the cross, <laughs> along with Jesus Christ, was every accusation and condemnation that we rightly deserved. Nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ was every accusation and condemnation and judgment we rightly deserved and earned ourselves. It was nailed to the cross. The handwriting of requirements. The law was not evil. The law justly condemned us. But Christ died that we might not be condemned. The dismissal, the acquittal of Christ. Paul reminds him that Christ earned for us. Paul reminds him here is a dismissal with Prejudice. I looked up this legal term the other day. In the former, for, uh, formal, I should say, legal world, a court case that is dismissed with prejudice means simply this. It is a dismiss, it is dismissed permanently. A case dismissed with prejudice is over and done with once and for all and can't be brought back to court. That's the dismissal you have in Jesus Christ. That's the acquittal that you have in Christ. Amen. And Paul reminds him, the devil can't bring that up again. God has acquitted you. Therefore, whatever label or liability that Satan has or seeks rather to assign to you, Jesus Christ has made it a public spectacle. Amen. And made a public spectacle of it on the cross. The accusations and all have been nailed to the cross. That word spectacle spectacle means a public repudiation. Amen. That's why the devil hates you so much. Because you are a public repudiation of his agenda. Amen. He hates you because you are a public repudiation of his agenda. Because the devil has declared you dead and God said you're alive. The devil has declared you lost, but God said you are found. The devil has declared you hopeless, but God says you are hopeful. The devil has declared you fatherless, but now you have a father. The devil has declared you divided uh, through racism, but now you've been reconciled in Christ. And all to the glory of God. Amen. You are a living repudiation of the devil's agenda. I had the privilege of being a part of a 50-year wedding ceremony yesterday. It was a blessing. 50 plus one. Couldn't do it last year because of COVID. But you know what? That couple, members of our fellowship, their marriage represents a direct repudiation of the devil's plans. Amen. A direct repudiation. That's why the enemy hates you. He wants you to fall so the world, the world can celebrate your failure. But God, by his grace, will sustain you. That you might remain a repudiation of his agenda. Amen. Isn't that good? You're acquitted. You're acquitted to the glory of God. You have been acquitted in Christ, liberated, dismissed with prejudice, with all the charges against you nailed to an old rugged cross. Praise God. Amen. Oh, give God praise and glory. Somebody. Amen. Praise his holy name. Thank you, Lord. That I'm liberated. 
by the acquittal of Christ. Lastly, our liberty is based, Paul says, on Christ, our substance. And so he says in verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, all these religious things, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head that is Christ from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch and do not taste and do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines, here it is, of men. Christ is a substance. Let no one judge you regarding, in, in regards to, uh, or according to religious legalism. The substance is Christ. The substance is not the things that we do for God, but what God has done for us. The substance is Christ. That word substance, the Greek word summa, it means living body. We are those who believe in the living God, not some dead God. He's alive. The living body. Jesus is the living body. He is the substance. A shirt is nothing without a body in it. Amen. Jesus is not an empty shirt. He's not a system of religious platitudes or form of godliness without power. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I love that. A dear sister came up after one of the services and said, you know, I, but I, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, or the, uh, the, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And she said, but it, Paul says it's power. I said, that's right. Because you can't have true righteousness, peace, and joy without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? <laughs> you're not you doing it. Amen? A lot of people try to be righteous and be at peace and have their own joy, and then you run out of gas. Amen? But when it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it's sustained for all eternity. Amen? So it's not just talk. I'm not telling you, giving you a positive message right now. I'm not just trying to be a positive speaker. I'm talking about the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's able to transform your life. The power of God. It's not just talk. I didn't come to hear a great speech. Amen. I came to be transformed by the power of God's word. Amen. There's a big difference. Thank God for his word, for his truth. The power of his word. False teachers are different. Paul, he, he puts them on blast here. Amen. And um, he mentions four characteristics of false teachers that we should note. False teachers are cheaters. They're there to rip you off, to rob you of your reward. 
Verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward. God wants you to bless you. Psalm 1 says, those who meditate in his word day and night, who does not sit in the seat of the scornful or mockers, they'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They'll prosper. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to, be, to prosper in him. He said, let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight. Here's the first characteristic of false teachers. False humility. You know, they look pious and holy. But they're, they have false humility. It's not the truth that you see. False humility. This is the first characteristic of false teachers. The second characteristic, characteristic is what I call voodoo religion. <laughs> Always outside of the parameters of the word of God, teaching something that cannot be substantiated by the word of God. Amen. Paul says they worship angels. In other words, they worship the mystical and the magical. You know, you hear these pastors sometimes, and, and, and I'm, I, there's, it's, this is not, it's not wrong for them to say this, but sometimes you've got to watch some of these guys. Because they'll come out and they'll go, to, now, now let me tell you what this word means. Now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. If they say watch this, you better watch this. <laughs> you better watch them. Come on now. Just because it, it sounds good, watch this, watch this, watch, watch it. You better, it, it. you better watch this. I tell people, don't, don't sit here looking at, you know, the words coming out of my mouth. You better, you better check me out. Don't just watch the words come out of the mouth. You watch by watching, reading your own word. Amen. You know your own Bible. Amen. You check me out. But the Bible says you need to work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. And when you stand before God, you're not going to say, well, wait a minute, Lord, let me get out, Pastor Al, and then he'll tell you what I, no, Pastor Al, Pastor Al dancing down the streets of gold. Woo! I ain't going to be there. Work out your own salvation. Well, Pastor Al said, no, no, what did my word say? I remember years ago, there was a popular TV preacher. He was going around slaying everybody in the spirit. And he was teaching from Genesis. He said, watch this, watch this. The Bible says Adam had dominion over the animals and the birds of the air. That means that Adam could fly like a bird. Say what? Where is that in scripture? Am I to believe that God is a chicken? Because the Bible says that he covers us with his wings. Amen. False teachers. And people fall for this stuff. You know why? Because they're not working out their own salvation. With fear and trembling. Amen. Fear and trembling of what God says, not what man says. Amen. You got to know his word. And these false teachers, this voodoo religion can't be backed up in scripture. Watch this. You know, it's don't fall for it. The third characteristic of false teachers, vainly puffed up. Paul says they're vainly puffed up. That means they're prideful. And the fourth characteristic is they're not holding fast to the head. And this is the, the worst of all. The head is Christ. Paul says he is the head. From whom all things, verse 19 says, 
from whom all the body, rather, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. The church is not going to increase, have an increase that comes from God if Jesus is not the head of the church. And if they're not, he's not the head of the church, guess what you're doing? You're exalting yourself rather than Jesus. And we will not have any personality worship in this church. Jesus is the head of the church. Amen. So that we can be joined together in unity and so that we can be joined, that we can receive growth that comes from God. Be fruitful to the glory of God. But these false teachers think otherwise. And then he goes on in verses 20 and 22. He says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why then do you, as though living in the world, do you subject, subject yourselves to regulations? And what he's talking about is, is that, you're, you're, yeah, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be kingdom people. This is not our home. My citizenship is in heaven. Yours is in heaven. Amen. And he says, you're living as if somehow you're, you're limited to this, this world. Now, he's not talking about regulations like the speed limit is 55. Or, well, I got freedom in Jesus. I'm doing 85. Well, you're going to get a ticket. Amen. <laughs> Probably go to jail. Amen. That's not, he's, not, he's not talking about that. He's talking about legalism. I'll tell you why. Because he says, according to the latter part of verse 22, to the commandments and doctrines of who? Men. He's talking about the Judaizers who have come in among them, these Jewish, religious Jewish people who would come in saying that they received Jesus Christ, but then demanding that Christians keep the law. We can't keep the law. Jesus kept the law and th- for us and called us righteous. We're, salvation is not through keeping the law. It's through the substance. That is, it's through Jesus. Amen. Faith in him, not in the law, but in Christ. Amen. <laughs> So this is what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, don't be, you know, uh, seduced by legalism. By the doctrines of men, by the fear of men. The fear of man is a snare to your liberation and your liberty that is in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on here in verse 23 and he says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom of, in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You got a bunch of rules and regulations, but there's no transformation. Remember, the kingdom of God is one of power. The only means by which we can experience victory over the flesh is by drawing near to Christ. I've been doing this a long time, and I don't know of any other way i got seven easy steps to God. No. <laughs> draw near to God. This is what James said. You want victory over your flesh? Draw near to God. What do we do? We, we draw near to God for a moment, and then we, we run away. Or we stop drawing near to God. We wonder why we, can't have, we don't have victory. you got to draw near to God. James said it this way. James chapter 4. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. And guess what? He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, get serious about your sins. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will beat you up. No. No. And he will what? Lift you up. 
Amen. He's for you. He's not against you. Amen. Give him praise and glory. Therefore, the pursuit of Christ as the substance. Remember that. Let me just say this. There's a lot of times people get caught up in these different cults and groups. And I was talking to a brother about a cult the other day, uh, the black Israelites. Have you ever heard of it? It's a cult based on racism. And, and there's other cults out there, and, and they always have something else that you need to do, and you're not as good as them unless you do X, Y, Z. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. Are you focused on Christ? Are you in love with him? Are you obedient to him? Is he Lord of your life? The substance is of Jesus Christ. So we can get into debates over people, over all these different things. Sometimes people want to come in and debate me. No, no, no. The substance is of Christ. All I know is him and Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I know. The substance is of Jesus Christ. Because when God, when you get to heaven, God's going to want to know what you've done to, with his son. That's all he's going to want to know. And you can't say you love God and hate somebody. And hate your brother. The substance is of Christ. And if the substance is of Christ, then you will find transformation through faith in Christ. He gives you power over the indulgences of the flesh. Amen. Praise his holy name. All right. The pursuit of Christ is a substance. He's our present reality. He's the only path to true liberation and victory over the flesh. So in conclusion, let me just say there are two, basically two thoughts I want to leave with you that Paul brings to bear here. And that is number one, that to walk in Christ, to walk in Christ, to say that I'm liberated in Jesus. What does that mean? It means that I believe that God has provided for me a throne of grace and not a throne of judgment. I believe according to Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus Christ is my high priest forever. Who's able to sympathize with my weaknesses. That word sympathize in the original Greek means that he's able to feel what you feel. People come up to you and say, Oh, I know how you feel. No, they don't. But Jesus does. I have a high priest who knows how I feel and he knows exactly what I'm feeling. When I come to him, he's, he doesn't beat me up. He sympathizes with me. Therefore, I can come before a throne of what? Grace. To receive grace and help in time of need. Amen. That's the God. If you had, that's liberating. Amen. So when you've fallen on your face, you don't run to the liquor bottle or to drugs or some illicit affair. You run to Jesus because you know you can come before his throne. Not in timidity, not in fear of being afraid, but coming with boldness before the throne of God. Amen. Because you're convinced that his love is greater than whatever you've done. Amen. That's the throne of grace. That's the throne of grace. That's liberation. You don't have to go and do a bunch of things and get back in God's good graces and then come. No, you come just as you are. Not in timidity, but with boldness. That doesn't mean cockiness. That means in humility. But not waiting. Coming boldly before the throne. That's liberation. The second thing regarding liberation is to believe that Jesus Christ is the substance. I may not get it right. I may make some mistakes, but I'm focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Amen. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the substance of your faith. 
But you have to claim it. You have to claim that, you know, this is, you know, Christ. I am liberated in Jesus because a lot of Christians walk around beat up and, and bent over by condemnation for things that happened a week ago or, or t- 20 years ago, whatever. You are liberated in Jesus Christ. And Paul is encouraging the church here to walk in that liberation. The deeper life is a life of liberation. I believe there's a throne of grace. I believe Christ is a substance and that's enough for me. But we have to claim it. Claim your liberation in him today. Don't allow the enemy to fashion for you a yoke of condemnation. Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I don't know if you heard a story about the woman in Oregon recently that died homeless. And it was discovered that she had an unclaimed inheritance of $884,000 in the bank. $884,000 in the bank, and she was living homeless. I thought, that's like a lot of believers, living homeless. Like God doesn't love us. Won't come to church. Won't pray. Won't read your Bible. Acting like you're homeless because you have an unclaimed inheritance in Jesus Christ. Amen? Of liberty. Liberty in Christ. Amen? I wish somebody would leave me (laughs) $884,000. I'm here to pick it up, but you know. <laughs> but we should be that way about what we have in Jesus. So many of us live with our unclaimed inheritance, a life of condemnation and defeat when Christ died to set us free. I want to show you a video testimony of a dear sister in our fellowship that was found true liberation in Christ before we get into our time of communion. So check this out. Hi, I'm Karen. When I was 30 years old, I went to a deep depression for six weeks. I thought I was a Christian, but it seemed like it overwhelmed me. When I was young, I had been molested by my brother for four years. So I hated myself and I was very ashamed. Raised in a Christian home, but the things that had happened caused a lot of problems in my life. When I turned 20, I married the first man that came along and told me he loved me. After I had my son, our son, he told me he didn't love me and he left. I was left to raise my son for 17 years. God was good to me, but I wasn't true to him. During those times after the divorce, I kind of just ran rapid and promiscuous and doing things that I knew were wrong. And I fell in love again. This one was married man, did not know that. And I became pregnant again. So my option came to a point where I decided I'd do an abortion. I knew it was wrong, but I knew God. Even though I went ahead and committed that sin. Sin took me over, took me through great depression, but in Finally, I called out to the Lord and said, please forgive me. And he came to me for four nights. He was my counselor, my healer, my deliverer. He took me through each night, one about forgiving my brother for molesting me, learning to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. He also taught me how to forgive my ex for leaving me and raising my son on my own. And then he showed me he had forgiven me for what lifestyle I lived. 
The hardest one was the forgiveness of my abortion. But he told me he forgave me and that he gives me the forgiveness so that I can live a life for him. He told me that my son was with him in heaven. So I knew that things were going to work out. As I went through that time, the last night he came to me and he said, Karen, you're free. You're forgiven. Now go and forgive others. Forgiveness is a freedom for you. And that's why I can forgive others when they hurt me. Because Christ has forgiven me. And I know that he can forgive others. He's taken me through many things. But he put me into a ministry, such the captives free, where I help women coming out of prison and out of jail to find the identity in Christ and the freedom that he wants to give them for all the things that they have committed in their life. He's a loving God. He forgives. His unfailing love falls from his heart and heals my soul so that I can go and forgive others and show his unfailing love for what he has done in my life. I praise God for his love, his protection, and how he has opened doors for me to witness and touch other lives around me. That's liberation in real time. It's what God is able to do. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again to a yoke of bondage, a yoke of condemnation, a yoke of legalism. But stand fast in liberty. Amen. We're going to go into our time of communion. And before we do, I'd like to give you an opportunity. You're watching online. If you're watching online, you might want to go get some bread or crackers and something to drink to represent the blood of Christ so you can partake with us. But I'd like to also ask that if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're saying, Pastor Al, I want to know what it is to be free. Today is your day. Whether you're in this auditorium and you're upstairs or you're watching online, I'd love to lead you in a word of prayer whereby you can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and know the liberty which Christ offers freely to all who put their trust and faith in him. If that's your heart's desire, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Would you bow your head wherever you are and repeat after me. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you are risen from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life today. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Our friend, the Bible says if you pray that prayer that you are born again. You've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, then your sins are washed away and you are saved. Saved from the judgment and condemnation we all justly deserve, but Christ took for you on the cross. Amen.
Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, please click. There's a tab on the, if you're watching online, there's a tab for you to click, um, touch, and uh, make sure you fill out the information so we can send you free information in the mail to help you grow in the, in the knowledge of the Lord. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, do not leave. Please do not leave after, at the end of the service without coming up here and meeting with one of our pastors. I have one standing on either side of the state. And just say, I prayed the prayer, and they'll give you that free information to help you to continue to grow in the Lord. This is very important. For the rest of us, and I did this the last couple of services, and the Lord says, I believe the Lord wants me to do it again. And there's some of us as here as believers, we, we love the Lord. We've been walking with the Lord for a while, but you're living under a cloud of bondage for whatever reason. It might be your own making, unforgiveness. It may be just something you're going through, but she said, I need, I need a touch of liberation. I need Christ to set me free from the fowler's snare, from the shackles, maybe of your own making or a situation you're in. You need a touch of liberation. You need to know what it means to be free in Christ again. I'm going to pray a prayer over you, whether you're watching at home or wherever you are upstairs. But stand to your feet if that's you, and I will pray a prayer over you. Before we go into our time of communion, don't take that into the communion service. Give it to Jesus right now. Amen? Just stand. Somebody has wronged you or whatever it is, but you want to know what it is to be free. Man, it's so liberating to just be free to love people that that hate you. Amen? Because you're no longer under their control, but under control of the Spirit of God. Is there anybody else here? Just stand to your feet. People standing all around. And I'm standing with you. I'm standing with you. Father in heaven, right now, people are standing up all around, Father. And and probably online, there's, there's a hand being raised or someone literally standing. Lord, you see our hearts. You call for our hearts to be circumcised. The cutting away of that which hinders our love for you and our love for others. Father, will you come and circumcise our hearts? Will you cut away the dead things that have hindered us that we might love with the, that through faith in Christ that we might be liberated to love, liberated to love you first and foremost, and liberated to love and to forgive others? It's not easy. You didn't say it would be easy, but you said you never call us to do something that you don't give us the power to do it. So, Father, right now I pray for a special anointing. I pray for a spirit of restoration that those who are standing may experience that liberation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We need your touch. Break the bondage. Break the strongholds, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we surrender that to you. We claim that which is our rightful heritage in Christ. Amen. Let us not leave that unclaimed, that unclaimed liberty, but let us claim that liberty we have now in Jesus Christ. Right now, just say, Lord, I receive it, Lord. Lord, I receive it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Begin to worship him. Amen. Let God minister to your heart. Amen. And Lord, do a work of renewal. Let liberation and freedom ring within the hearts and the minds of your people. We need your touch. We can't do this without you. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. 
If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.